You are listening to The Overwhelmed Brain. Today's episode is brought to you by GetOutOfTheMess.com. Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of that same old rehashed personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to think positively and all your problems will go away? If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The Overwhelmed Brain is here to help you create the life you want now. Hello and welcome to The Overwhelmed Brain. I am your host, personal empowerment coach, Paul Coliani. I am here to help you increase your emotional intelligence, strengthen your self-worth and self-esteem, and empower you so that you can make decisions that are right for you. Everything my guest and I talk about on this show is our personal opinion, and it is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. All right, today is a somewhat special episode. I normally have the regular show on Sunday mornings. It comes out every Sunday. And then every now and then I throw in a Wednesday episode with uh, Matthew Bivens and I. He's another host in the podcast world uh, with a show called Having It All. And it's a um, self-help personal growth show, very similar to this one. And um, him and I met a little over a year ago in the podcasting space. And he had me as a guest on his show. And uh, we got along great. And I really liked what he talks about. So uh, every now and then I have him come on this show as a co-host. So today is one of those days, and uh, I remember talking about this uh, a while back saying, don't worry, I'll never replace the Sunday show with one of these co-host shows. (laughs) And I'm not replacing it, but this week I'm actually going out of town, and I don't have time to record a second full episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. But I wanted to give you something to wake up with on Sunday morning, or for your Monday or Tuesday commute, or whenever you listen to this show, because uh, you know I want to stay consistent. I want to make sure that you're getting your money's worth, even though it's a free show. You're just getting what it's worth to you as a subscriber to this show. And if you're not a subscriber to this show, go to iTunes and subscribe or go to your favorite podcast aggregator. I know Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, all kinds of audio services out there that offer this show. You can even say, Alexa, play the Overwhelmed Brain podcast and your Amazon Echo will play. I think Google Play will do it too, but I only have the Alexa to play with, so check it out. But uh, I wanted to give you something, like I said, on Sunday. And this episode is it's really packed. We condensed a lot of information, but we still didn't get into every single little bit of subject matter uh, regarding a letter that I read on the air. First part of it, we talk about something that I wanted to ask Matthew, and I wanted to get his insights on, uh, because I have my own insights on wisdom. Like, where does wisdom come from? And I wanted to ask Matthew, and Matthew is a wise guy in a good way. And uh, what I wanted to find out is, where did he get this wisdom? You know, I have my own thoughts, my own opinions on where I believe wisdom comes from, where my, you know, I don't like to say I'm the wise one. I, I know that everyone has wisdom in them. And where does your wisdom come from? And so we talk about that for the first, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes. And then we get into a letter from someone that I uh, call Mary. And Mary has a lot going on in her life. And every now and then I'll get an email that says something like, I've lost the love of my life. 
I lost my job, or I'm in a crappy job, I'm in a town that I hate, I don't know anyone, I'm alone, and then Mary has all this plus more. So there are things that we're going to talk about in this episode where, you know, life just beats you up on every single road you travel. Everything you do doesn't work out. Everything is happening to you. It's like you can't stop. It's like every time you go down a path, there's a freight train coming the other way and you can't avoid it. It's like these things happen to people. You know, this is what used to actually tick me off about uh, personal growth speakers and, uh, you know, people you see on stage and people you see on videos is that they, they say, you got to grab life by the reins and, you know, take it over and take full control of your life and do whatever it takes to just plow through your fear. It was all motivational, but it was never practical. It was never applicable. I mean, sure, you can just step into your fear, but what are the specific steps to do that? And I like to talk about specific steps. I I don't like leaving you um, in a space of, you just got to tackle your fear, just step into it. Because you can get that anywhere. You can get that from your best friend. You can get that from many popular personal development speakers out there. And they can motivate you to the end of the earth. But the only problem with motivation, and this is what, like I said, ticked me off, is that during the seminar or the teaching or whatever video I was watching, I would get pumped up. But a day or two after it was over, that motivation would be gone. And I'd be like, well, uh, I was pumped. Of course, that's you know my fault. I know that's my fault. I know that I didn't follow through with all those plans I made two days ago. I just, you know, got unmotivated and I stopped following through. And, you know, after talking to a lot of people about this same phenomenon, uh, I realized that it wasn't just me. It is a very real thing. You go to a motivational seminar and they motivate you. And then because they can't follow you everywhere you go, and uh, you're not in the seminar anymore, or you're not in the lesson of the audio or the video that you're watching, or you've stopped reading the book, then the motivation can wane. It can go away. And when the motivation goes away, what do you do now? It's like you don't have the steps, you just have the motivation. So what I like to do is because I've felt lost and abandoned at the personal growth and development journey that I was on, I decided to tackle personal growth from an applicable, practical standpoint and really just think about what steps it takes. And not just big picture steps. Like the first thing you need to do is just get the best, most positive mindset you can get. Well, how do you get a positive mindset? And will that even work? And will some people go, wait, positive mindset? I'm not positive about anything. I'm negative about everything. So somebody telling me to get a positive mindset puts me in a bad space. (laughs) It puts me in a negative mindset. It makes me madder. So I look at that and go, yeah, I could totally see that. And this is what I've seen with um, some speakers out there is that they don't meet you where you are. They just try to take you where they want you to get, which is good. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But I like to really try it on. It's like with Mary's letter today. I'm thinking, geez, you know, I have this disease and I have uh, this crappy job and I have an alcoholic as an ex and I just feel bad about myself and I have these fears and all these things that in Mary's letter that you're going to hear momentarily are very real. 
And when you don't address them and just cover it with all this motivational talk, it doesn't always help. It sounds like I'm bashing motivational speakers, but I'm not. I'm really not. There's many out there that I appreciate, respect, and, and have learned from in some ways. But I just think that some of them do leave you hanging sometimes. And it's that unfinished business feeling that you leave with that um, you don't know until the motivation starts to disappear. Like, I'm motivated, I'm pumped, and I'm ready to do this. And then two days later, it disappears, and you don't have any motivation anymore because the steps to get there seem a little unreachable or undoable. Or maybe you don't know the steps. Maybe the steps weren't even described. It's like um, somebody told me that they went to a seminar once and the seminar leader is like, you just have to get on the phone and make all the cold calls until you sell this $10,000 package. I was like, really? That was his advice? (laughs) And she's like, yes. There was nothing about addressing your fears. There was nothing permissive about it. It was all authoritarian. It was, this is what you need to do. And if you don't do it, you're a failure. I mean, that's the message that comes across. And uh, so 98% of that audience is going to fail for many reasons, but um, the 2% that win are going to be the success stories, and then everyone's going to think, oh, that system works. Again, I'm, I'm a little ranting right now. <laughs> I don't mean to be, because there is a place for everyone in this world, and uh, everyone's teachings, and some people will resonate with it, and some people won't. But I'm only telling you the differences in the styles of different teachers out there And the ones you resonate with most are the ones that help you get through the toughest challenges in your life so that you are empowered to make your own decisions so that you can uh, create your own successes. Instead of having someone give you the roadmap to success, they give you the tools to help you learn, heal, grow, and evolve from where you are into the person that you are want to be so that you can make the decisions that work for you. Anyway, I could go on and on about that. I don't mean to, (laughs) but I did mention the the teachings that people have out there and how sometimes when you feel like you're left hanging, like when you feel like you just didn't get the answers that you're looking for, you may think that it's hopeless. You may think, well, I did everything that teacher told me to do and I'm still in this funky place. I don't like where I am. And I have no way to get out of it. That's what happens. We have these beliefs that we believe we have no way out of it. I don't like that feeling. I want a way out. You know, out of what? That means the, what, the negative emotion, the place I'm at in life, the results that I have, the place I live, the person I'm with. What can we tackle? I mean, we can look at our lives and go, everything's just so overwhelming. I don't even know where to begin. And that's important. We need to figure out where to begin. And that's where I like to go. I like to go where to begin instead of just motivating you to do exactly what you need to do to get out of everything that happens in your life. I want to help you start. I want to, I want to help you take that first step so that when you get that first little step of success, you can go on to the next one. But that makes sense, right? You start with something small and then you get to the next thing and you work on that. Now, you may work on it for a long time and you might have to start smaller. I don't know, but... There's always one thing you can start with and one thing you can do. So Matthew and I talk about that and we talk about this letter from Mary and um, how basically everything in our life is really 
really dismal right now. And um, we do our best to help her out. Now, this is also a two-parter. So what's going to happen probably is uh, the second part of this show will air on not the following Wednesday, but the next Wednesday. So about a week and a half from the airing of this show, because I want to continue the conversation with Matthew and him and I meet like once every week and a half to two weeks. And then we'll get back to our normal Sunday show next Sunday. So with that, I'm going to sign off and let the uh, conversation play. Hope you enjoy it. After it's done, I'll be back to say goodbye and give you my well wishes. Thanks for tuning in. Here's Matthew Bivens and I hope you get some value from our conversation. This is this is kind of not related, but it is in a broad sense. Um, and I'm just going to throw this at you. You know, you have skills, you have experience, you have uh, you've done your reading, you've probably watched self help videos, you've done a lot of growth over the years, and you've developed the knowledge to help other people. Um, and I've said this before. There's there's a wisdom that it also develops underneath that knowledge. And inside of you, I recognize your wisdom. And I want to ask you where you believe your wisdom comes from. Because it's not from books. Knowledge is from books. Where do you, because I have my own answer to this as well, but I wanted to hear from you, from another teacher in this field, um, where you believe your wisdom comes from. I think this, this will be helpful for others as well. What do you think? That's a, that's a big question. What comes up for me is something that I was going through a few weeks ago with my own show and feeling this weight of responsibility and feeling like, okay, I'm in this position where I need to be handing people tools so that they can go and fix and improve and better and heal their lives. And after my own searching and talking to people and getting feedback, you know, really for me, a big part of it is going out and speaking with other people and receiving that feedback. One of the things that I learned that really resonated with me is that people are moved by who I'm being and my, my stories that I share and vulnerability. I don't need to tell them, go do X, Y, Z, go follow this blueprint, go follow this script. So when you talk about, you know, wisdom, and ask me where it comes from. I mean, part of my response is I just am. I just, I, I feel moved to continue and in, in, in my own life, go towards healing and my own growth and my own transformation and continue, continue just to examine what, what it looks like for me to live great, you know, a great life, uh, a quote unquote successful life, an effective life a loving life, an abundant life, and for me just to head in that direction. And I've absolutely learned a ton because for me, it's been a lot of action. I've read a lot of things. I've talked to a lot of people. I've been in a lot of conversations, but I've also taken action in my own life and have stepped into my fears. So I think some of that, you know, to answer your question, some of that wisdom comes from 
having the guts in my own life to just walk into the things that have scared the, the heck out of me and mm -hmm. to do it over and over again. But if someone were to sit next to me and say, Oh, Matthew, I think you're wise. Please tell me what to do. I would say, I, <laughs> I, I, that's not, that's not what I do. I don't tell people what to do. I share, you know, I get inspired by Mary's story. Even if Mary feels like she's got nothing going on and she's at the bottom and she's hit rock bottom, there's still pieces of who she's choosing to be that inspire me. And so I think there's, there's wisdom in all of that. Got it. Thank you for that. And um, I'm going to read Mary's story in a moment. But the, the reason I asked that question is because a lot of everyone has wisdom. I look mm -hmm. at if I were to break wisdom down into a, a, a technical process, I think it would be a the skills that we develop, b the experience that we uh, go through, c the knowledge that we learn, and then taking all those three and finding the underlayer of connecting the dots between all those three, where you come up with a solution. And if you can take those three aspects, and there's probably more instinct and things like that, if you take those th three or four aspects and connect the dots when someone's telling you a problem and you come up with something that's not textbook and it comes out of your brain as if, well, have you ever tried, you know, have you ever thought about doing this? And it's just something unique, something new, something that nobody can find anywhere else. That very specific answer. That's how I see wisdom is that we connect these dots based on our lifetime of all the exposure we've had to all these things. But we connect them in a way that seems to be, I don't know, I don't want to say supernatural, but it, it, it comes from a deeper place. Seems to be very subconsciously put together in a way that helps someone. This is probably a little too deep. but well, So I was, um, I like what you said. I, I was having a conversation with a, a very close friend of mine. I consider her very wise. So it's great that you asked this question. She was talking and she was sharing that people tell her she's able to see the story within the story. Mm. And she was sharing that when she was an interior designer, uh, that was her, her career for a while. She had her own interior design firm. She was taught to see the color within color. So mm. if she's looking at a color yellow, she was, she was taught and she really, she was able to, to, see the hints of orange within the yellow or see the hints of green. So seeing the color within the color, seeing the story within the story, I think that goes al along with uh, how you defined and described wisdom. It's, it's seeing what is going on underneath because of the three, three, the three things you said, they have the skill set, they have the experience, they have the, what was the third one you said? The knowledge the knowledge and you know maybe the insight but the combination of those things allows you to see that story within the story that's a, a a neat way to put it and um i can understand that perspective it's sort of like um instead of breaking something down logically where you have the facts there's the underlayer of the the structure of the of that story and what mm -hmm. what does that mean when i when i hear a client talking to me about I'm so sad that so-and-so left. You know, we could grasp onto that surface level story that they're sad that someone left because we can empathize. I would be sad if someone left me. Yeah. But wisdom, I believe, involves you going underneath and going, well, why are you sad? And then they might go, well, because they left. 
yes, but why does that make you sad? And then a lot of people are going to say, well, isn't it obvious? And they're going to say, you know, I had a, an episode on this. Well, that's a stupid question. Anyone would be sad that someone left them. And I go, okay, let's explore that stupid question. Uh, okay, why am I sad that they left? Because they're not in my life anymore. Okay, why does that make you sad? And we start digging in. And that's, yeah. that's how my yeah. brain works is that I keep drilling in and drilling in and drilling in. That even the obvious stuff I like to break apart and and find out what's driving and what's motivating that obvious stuff so that you find out the origin of a problem. In, instead of just going, well, everyone would feel sad about that. Anyone could, you know, anyone would go through that would feel bad. Instead of just stopping there, I, I drill into it. So um, to to answer my own question about if someone were to see me wise, um, I believe I started developing wisdom in my forties. I was like, I, I never really felt I had it, but until I started coming up with things that I couldn't figure out where they came from. And I'm like, well, where is that answer coming from? That's, that's a good answer. I'm going to try that in my own life. Yeah. I think when you start coming up with answers like that and you go, I'm going to try that in my own life. Hey, it worked. Then there's something developing inside of you over the years. But I, I look back and and see all my dysfunction that developed from childhood being in uh, an abusive alcoholic home um, has, you know, created all this dysfunction, created beliefs and perceptions about the world that weren't serving me. And I had failure after failure after failure, relationships, jobs, you name it. And um, I finally decided in my late thirties that I was sick of failing. And I came to this place in myself where I go, I am just so, I can't fail in another relationship. And I keep burning out at my jobs. I can't stand this anymore. And I realize, you know, I look back, look back in hindsight and realize all of my failures, I uh, blamed on some sort uh, external circumstance. Uh, yeah. I blamed yeah. them. Like they made my job hard. So there's my external circumstance. That person didn't understand me. So they left. There's my external circumstance. The moment I decided to take responsibility and go, what am I doing? That's causing these things. I didn't do any of that stuff. That's my first, you know, resistance. Okay, let's break down that resistance and just obliterate it and say, you know what? Let's just say I did. What? And I asked this on my show before. What was my role in the circumstances? Because once I know my role, because that's all I can control, then I can start to change my life. Then I can start showing up differently. Then I can start working on myself. Then I know what I need to work on. Because things can work out pretty well when you get a handle on what's going on in yourself first. And I really like that idea. And so um, I decided to take responsibility one day. And as soon as I did that and I started, and as soon as I realized that, hey, that person's acting that way, how am I contributing to this? I want to blame them, but how am I contributing to this? As soon as I started doing that, I think my wisdom started. And I think that's where wisdom begins. I think where wisdom begins as soon as you start taking responsibility for your role in all the circumstances of life, even when that guy yeah. came out of nowhere and sideswiped me. I mean, that's where we go with it. That guy came out of nowhere and sideswiped me. I had no control over that. Well, you know, you can even take responsibility for being there at that day and time 
If you didn't leave the house at that day and time, it's your responsibility. You left the house at that day and time. doesn't mean it's your fault. It just means that you just happened to be in that space in that day and time. And there's probably nothing you could have done any differently. I'm not saying that you could have. But what it does is starts changing the way you think. Because there's going to be circumstances that come up that uh, you definitely can't control. But if the majority of your thinking is, I'm responsible. I'm responsible for this. I'm responsible. Then the majority of your life tends to work out for the better. This is my own thoughts. This is my own opinion. But this is where I believe wisdom starts is when you start to take responsibility for what's going on in your life. Yeah. I don't know if you yeah. resonate with that or not. I do. And I also think that there's, um, there's maturity and you know, with wisdom comes maturity and maturity being taking responsibility. That's how I view maturity. It's when you take responsibility. Maturity isn't getting older. I know for myself, uh, I was told I'm not mature enough when I was younger to do X, Y, Z. And what they, what I was being told is I'm not old enough yet. So I had this belief that, well, okay, age equals maturity. However, then I may experience somebody who's older than me, who may be acting immature in a, in a certain area, or perhaps I'm acting immature when I'm around somebody who's younger than me. And I'm like, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. Like that, that's not how it should be. If the logic were to, were to continue. So when I think of how you're describing wisdom and taking responsibility, I'm thinking of uh, what comes to my mind as well as maturity. And I love that you talked about taking full responsibility of your life. Mm -hmm. I think there's great amount of wisdom for those who adopt that belief. Because I know that there's other beliefs out there where you know you aren't completely responsible for your life. Some, some other entity or source or power is responsible for the things that happen. So I think that's fine. For the people who do believe that, yes, you know, I am responsible. That's a, that's a heavy thing to take on to say, I'm responsible for all of the things that are going on in my life. I'm a creator or a co-creator of all the different things. And like you gave the example of the person on the highway. There's a part of me that says, well, if I'm strolling down the street and lightning hits me, was I responsible for that? Or lightning were to hit something else. And I think, well, you may not always be 100% in control of those external circumstances, but you can control and you are responsible for how you respond mm. and how you choose to feel about them and the stories that you choose to continue to spin around those things. So I think that's where all of it comes in with me as well. And when I meet somebody who's wise, you know, for me, they are taking full responsibility. You know, they are uh, adopting and, 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 and holding that principle of, of co-creation. And um, that inspires me. And I, I also tend to seek those people out for feedback. So I'm like, hey, listen, help me find my blind spots. What am I not seeing here? Because you obviously have, have uh, experienced and done different things and learned different things in your life. So pass yeah. that on. Pass it down here. <laughs> I love that addition because you really pointed out well, you know, talk about maturity. Yeah, I think I started maturing in my 30s. <laughs> I started getting to a point of uh, really growing up as the adult in me and however you want to take that. But inside of me, this is how I see it. I, I grew up from being this big child most of my life um, and not really taking things to the point where I think it has to do with responsibility. I, I want to say like I grew up from being a kid to an adult, but really it, it, I think it is that maturity is part of the taking responsibility. I think when you're yeah. a kid, you don't take too much response. Uh, some kids don't take too much responsibility. They think, ah, oh, the world's never going to end. I'll be 
completely invincible no matter what I do. Yeah. And then you start. And that's part of, you know, as a parent, you don't place a lot of responsibility on a kid. You just, it's maybe they've got some chores, so you're responsible for cleaning the dishes or, you know, things like that. You, you, you aren't, we don't put tons of responsibility on kids. Some kids are in situations where they do have greater responsibility, but it's when we get to those, those later stages in life where we take on different things, but then we don't own the responsibility of those different things. And so when I, when I experience those people or when I experience that in myself, I look at, okay, well, there's some maturity that I can gain in this area. This is a fascinating conversation. Uh, I could probably go on. I mean, like what you just said about being a kid or what I just said about being a kid and not having that as much responsibility. And then you talked about it as well. The thought where some kids have parents that aren't in a place to parent in a healthy way, where that child actually has to become a young parent to yeah. their siblings, to the parents, you know, those children develop wisdom fast. Cause I, I think about these children who, had to take over as parent, had to start cooking, had to get a job when they were young. There are stories that I've heard where children had to take over the parental responsibilities because their parent was drunk, absent, you know, at the bar, you know, wherever they go. And I, I see these children grow up with a lot of responsibilities and that there's mm -hmm. a lot of wisdom in there too. But there's, you know, some children develop fears and they think the world is a scary place and they think they have to control everything in the world because they were so young when all this started. And again, we go on and on with that because it's just yeah. a fascinating topic. I want to get to the email that we have and see what we can get through in this. Um, we were talking about Mary. Um, and thank you for that, um, in, your feedback and your input on that. I wanted to know where you were with that because I think that's going to be helpful, helpful for anyone that feels like they don't have control of their life, that feels like they can't trust their own instincts, their own decisions. And maybe they don't think they're wise or have enough wisdom to get through some of the challenges in life. Uh, and it, I, I do believe it's a, a bigger philosophy that you d can develop in yourself that starts to create more wise choices in your life. So thank you for sharing your perspective there. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for asking the question. Oh, it was yeah. something for me to think about because I hadn't been asked that question before. So, well, I threw it at you out of left field. I was I was curious how you were going to answer it. <laughs> we didn't pre-discuss this. <laughs> so, um, we were talking about Mary and how her letter reflects, you know, all this stuff going on in her life and um, failure after failure. I mean, her words and uh, what what do I do? She didn't even know what she's asking. So, I'm just going to read you um, some of the condensed version of this and see where we can go with it. Hi, Paul. We're together. We were together for just over two years. He ended our relationship a few months ago. She's talking about, I believe, her boyfriend. This has been an incredibly difficult time for me. It's taken its toll on me mentally and physically. I live far away from friends and family. He was my only support and connection. I woke up scared because he wasn't with me. It was the same feeling as I got as a child when I couldn't find my family. I moved across the country to be with him, and I had a hard time with the move. I thought it was worth it because we both envisioned a future together. We were engaged and spoke eagerly about having children. For once in my life, I felt like I had direction. Now, that is gone, and I feel lost. He was my best friend. We had shared values. We were able to let down our guards and be complete weirdos with each other. I have trouble making sense of and coming to terms with everything. I believe I have been depressed for quite some time before the relationship ever began. 
He never endorsed any of that. He wanted me to be independent. He would bring his concerns to me. I would cry and overanalyze myself, but I would never seek help. He's an alcoholic. I felt like the third wheel in his relationship with alcohol. He would lie about drinking and being drunk. Uh, We would argue about it. He made me seem like a stick in the mud, a judgmental crusader. After our breakup, he admitted to me that he had been drunk a lot more times in the evenings, and he would blatantly lie when I would question him about it. He was also diagnosed with manic depression. I mean, we're talking like everything that could go wrong in this person's life. I I didn't know what that meant until after the breakup, but he had told me uh, he had tools for dealing with it. I didn't want to lose him, so I set myself up with a therapist. I started getting physically sick. I lost my appetite. I worried so much. During this time, he met someone, and he was texting her frequently. I felt jealous, and I thought I was going crazy. When he broke up with me, I looked at his phone, and they had fallen in love with each other. After the initial argument, we were able to talk about it. He was messed up, and I empathized with him. Living together afterward was hard. I would cry. I would be angry, and we would fight. We would be fine and eat together, and but things would go downhill after that. It was a continuous cycle. He met other women. He fell in love with another woman. I snooped on his phone again, and I read his journal, and I am disgusted with myself for that. I found hurtful things written about me. He said they were written in anger. Meanwhile, he told me he still loved me. I could never understand how he could say that and still do those things. Then my health plummeted. I was diagnosed with an incurable disease that has physically changed my appearance. There are times when I'm in such a dark place, I don't know how to get out. Sometimes I genuinely hate myself, and I don't see the point in taking care of myself. He seemed fine, for the most part. He would leave the house singing, while I would cry myself sick. Only sometimes would he break down. While drunk and crying, he showed me the wine and liquor bottles that he had hidden around the house. He confessed to being sober only three days in those two months. I find myself alone in a city that I would never have chosen for myself, working at an unfulfilling job solely for the health insurance. I'm at a loss as to what to do with myself. So I sit on the phone for hours like I have always done. I think she means sit by the phone. not sure. I have so many conflicting thoughts and feelings about everything. I tend to dwell on things to the point I don't know which way is up. It's like I was happy and excited, but I was also not happy. Uh, We were both unhealthy. I blame myself for my part. He hurt me and I can't hate him. He's supposed to be dead to me, but I can't let go. I don't know what I'm asking for. I'm lost, scared, and confused. Thank you for taking the time to read this. I appreciate the work you do. Mary. Okay, so, Matthew, that was like a lot to take in. That was just like everything that could possibly go wrong in my life has gone wrong. Now, I've written down some things, and, uh, you know, we can talk about these things and see where we go with it, Um, but... You know, I like to look at someone with all these issues in their life, and I ask myself the question, if I were this person, what is the most major issue that if I were to resolve, it would change everything? I, yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I think that's a, that's a great place to, to start. You know, there's, a, there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot. So I, I look at it as a funnel effect. Like you have one point that if one of those issues changed, it would funnel into the rest of them. For example, if she had a support system, would that change everything else? 
I mean, it doesn't heal. It doesn't, I mean, it can, it doesn't, um, like make her happy immediately, but is that like a choking point? Like without a support system, nothing else seems to work for her. I mean, that's not exactly where I want to go with this, but mm-hmm. uh, there is one aspect of that. Um, or if she, you know, didn't have a disease, would that change the rest of her life? Because sometimes there's something that overlies everything else that if it wasn't there, we would think differently. We would think clearly. We would have different thoughts about it. But because that's there, the rest of our life is affected. So I, this is what I ask clients a lot. What is the most prevalent problem in your life right now? And usually they have a, a quick answer. Usually it's like, oh, it's this. It's yeah. definitely this. I was like, so if that were to change, would the rest of your life be at least a little bit more manageable, a little less stressful? Oh, yeah. If that changed, that's like saying, you know, um, somebody is sick and they're in an unhappy relationship and such and such and such. And I said, okay, so if, if somebody gave you a million dollars, would that change? Oh, my God, a million dollars. That would change everything. So they, they see all the solutions come up because they have more options, right? And then, then we have someone like Mary who feels like she has no options. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, we need to start opening up at least one, two, or three options so that we could start doing little things. It's like um, Dave Ramsey, the financial guy. He's, yeah. He, he, calls, um, he calls one of his processes, I think it's called the debt snowball. Yep. And I went through it myself, and it sounds like you're familiar with it, where – you take doing this, it right now. Oh, perfect. Well, you're gonna you're gonna fly through it because what happens is you start with the smallest bill and you pay that off first, which is like the complete opposite of what I always thought. Just throw as much money at the biggest bill you can. That's like, let's try to throw as much time and energy at the biggest problem in our life first. No, let's start with the smallest one first. Let's yeah. let's start with that niggling, squeaky noise that the refrigerator makes every time you open the door. Because that's going to bother the crap out of you every single day if you have all this other stuff going on. But imagine one morning you woke up and you opened the fridge and it didn't make that noise. Suddenly you feel a little bit differently. You feel like, wow, that, that squeak isn't there. It's just a tiny little thing. But it, it's like the smallest little problem you can start on first. And I, I, I like that too. So this is kind of a little conflict of what I just said. Like, Okay, what's the biggest problem if we changed it? I also like to look at it. What's the smallest problem we can change right now? What's something we can do today that can change something? What What do you think about that annoys you, that's irritating, that if you changed it, it might change your feeling throughout the day? Well, I think with someone like Mary, if you feel powerless, if you feel like you don't have options and, and you know you feel lost, starting at the biggest thing, I mean, you just may not be able to do that. You just, you just may not have the, you know, the, the, the heart, the energy, whatever, to be able to tackle that. So starting at the small things, I think that's how you end up slowly building that momentum. I mean, you, you use the debt snowball as a perfect example. You start at that small thing and you get that small win, just yeah. that small win. And, you know, you recognize that feeling that you get that you were able to create that small win. And maybe a win that's just teeny tiny can then move to one that's slightly bigger. Yeah. And the whole idea with, with all of that is just building momentum, building momentum, building confidence, building belief in yourself, building trust in yourself. If you don't trust yourself, I mean, you, you're, you're going to end up, I think, feeling a lot of the way that Mary feels mm-hmm. when you don't have the trust that you can enact any sort of 
meaningful change in your life. Yeah. So I think that exactly what you're saying, Paul, you know, starting small, those small things that you can address, you know, quickly that you have the capacity right now to, to impact and to shift and to change and, you know, honoring that, recognizing that, celebrating that small win, celebrate the win of fixing the squeaky refrigerator. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, that's a great way to look at it. And, um, I see you can tackle it from both ends. Like I prefer like when you're working on something in yourself to do something that's manageable, mm-hmm. it's like people feel overwhelmed. I got a hundred things to do and they see a stack of paperwork. I, I, I just don't want to deal with any of that. And so they don't deal with any of it mm-hmm. because that's the big, that's the big thing. And well, let's take that one piece of paper. What can you do with this one piece of paper? Yeah, but that's not going to make a dent. Well, what can you do with this one piece of paper? All right. I'll look at it. I'll take care of it. And then suddenly you're one piece of paper less. Now you may think you never can catch up with everything, but you do what you can. So we could talk about overwhelm in some other episode, but that that's the idea is like the debt snowballs. You start off with a small thing, but I also help with clients that, you know, they have one big thing. And I, I try to understand if it's really that big, you know, some people say, you know, yeah. I've got this problem and it's huge. And okay, let's look at this problem. Let's break this down. So is this really the biggest problem in your life or is this something we can work with? So anyway, what I I could go on with that, but what I want to do is just read you some of the, uh, the notes I had on Mary's email and okay. um, we can kind of go over those if you come up with any thoughts as we go through this. Cool. Uh, great. So uh, one of the first things that came up for me, and this, like I said, this is a multifaceted, we could go a zillion different directions with this email, but let's tackle one thing at a time. Let's look at one thing at a time and one thing that is uh, manageable. And this may not help you, Mary, directly today. But I want to plant these seeds as food for thought for your future. So some of the things we're going to talk about will help you today. And some of the things that we talk about uh, will help you for future decisions that you make and future relationships that you get into, whether it's with this person or someone else. All right. With that said... One of the first things that came up for me is if you have a reliance on only your partner for your support and connection, and you don't have enough of a, a strong mental and emotional foundation so that uh, when or if they're not in the picture one day, you don't crumble and wilt into nothingness. And I think that's a vital thing is what we bring into a relationship that we're looking for, for someone else to fulfill in us. If those are really deep uh, needs inside of us, then what we end up doing is relying on our partner to fulfill those needs. And it causes the relationship often to feel a lot of pressure. It causes the other person to feel a lot of pressure. And um, that buildup of pressure can get to someone. They they can feel like uh, overloaded and you know, you're, you're too clingy and you're too attached to me and you're too dependent on me. And where I go with that is before you ever get in a relationship, like I said, this is like future thinking before you ever get into a relationship, uh, discover, learn about yourself. What do you really need from the relationship? There are, there are things you want, but what do you really need that you believe you can't get outside of a relationship? Because those deepest needs when you come to a reliance on someone else to fulfill them 
and that person's not there, will you still have it together? Will you still have a solid enough foundation so when they're not there that you don't, like I said, crumble and fall and just go into nothingness? I think it's so vital to have a solid emotional and mental foundation before you get into a relationship. A lot of us, you know, we don't build a strong enough foundation inside of us, which involves spending time with ourselves without someone else in our life or even when someone else is in our life. Spending enough me time to build ourselves, to nurture ourselves, to support and love ourselves to the point where we bring the healthiest version of ourselves into a relationship. And when we do that and we find a partner that also does that, I believe the relationship can prosper and last a long time. But if I bring my deep desires and needs and I can only get them fulfilled from you and even you bring your deep desires and needs and you can only get them fulfilled from someone else too, you develop a, a highly codependent, usually dysfunctional relationship because we're needy, we're grabbing from them, we're sucking the time and energy from them. And so uh, that's the, like one of the first things that comes up for me. What do you think, Matthew? I absolutely agree. I actually had written down the foundation as well. And I know what it feels like to be dependent on somebody. And that was one of the things that I, I you know, that's really stood out to me in, in your letter, Barry. When placing your happiness and your stability and your joy and your peace in a person who is unstable, unhealthy, you know, it's very dangerous. And, and I know, I believe you know that because you're experiencing it and you have experienced it. You know, the challenge is, well, how do you, how do you break that? How do you get out of that? So, you know, the two things that stood out from what you just said, Paul, were the foundation and then that creating that dependent state. And those things are dangerous. One of the consequences of that, I think, is what, is what Mary is experiencing. All of the stuff. Another one that, that came up for me was this idea, and I've said this before in other conversations we've had, Paul, it's setting standards and holding those standards. Mm. You know, I, I got a lot of um, self-worth, you know, unworthy types of vibes from, from the email. You know, not worthy of something different, something better, something healthier. And, you know, I was thinking, how do you cultivate self-love and self-worth? Well, you do it by taking care of yourself and affirming yourself and having, you know, dressing, taking pride in your appearance and eating salads, you know, those types of things. But it wasn't until I was, it was shared with me by, by my mentor, this idea of creating and holding standards for yourself. Mm. And I think for, for you, Mary, even if they're small standards, you know, of how, what you will allow, you know, how you allow other people in your life to treat you, what you will accept and what you won't accept. And, you know, again, you can start small and build your way up, but there's something that, that happens when you create those standards, but then you hold them. When you stand up for yourself and you hold those standards, you build the sense of trust within yourself. You build a sense of worthiness within yourself. And I think that's where that self-love, that's, that's a practice of self-love. And um, that was something that I think will, you know, if, if we go back to Paul, what you said, you know, a few minutes ago, what is one of those big things that if you were to impact this one thing, it's going to have ripples that spread everywhere. I think it's that self-love, self-worth conversation. Yeah, yeah and, and the, the question that comes up is, well, how do I do that? How do I 
you know, nurture myself? How do I love myself? And, you know, you listen to this show, you listen to Matthew's show, you uh, do your own self-help, you go to therapy. And there's one thing I uh, talked about, or I'm going to talk about momentarily, but I'll just say it now. Um, Like you mentioned your, your disease, you know, it feels very lonely to have a condition because typically your condition isn't shared by your neighbors and your close circle of friends. So you feel alone. So you develop this condition. So what do you do? You know, I'm a full supporter of group support. When you find a group of people that are going through the same thing you're going through, just like I'm a full supporter of, Hey, if you have a hobby, join a group of people that also like that hobby. Like there are, um, podcasting groups that Matthew and I could attend and, and meetings and where we, where we meet new people. And there's, you know, personal growth seminars that we can go to and meet new people because it's in our area of interest. But, uh, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that if I had some debilitating disease, I would want to know more about it, which means I would want to connect with people who are going through it. Just like uh, AA, like if your, your ex went to AA and he, he's connecting with people that are going through it, those are the people he's going to be able to resonate with and, and share his struggles with. So I, I do like the idea of when you feel like there's no one that can understand you, you can find someone that understands you. It may not be in you feel alone because it's not in your close circle, not in your family, not in your close circle of friends. But so you have to actually take some time and effort to find these people and, and try to connect with them in, in some way, shape, or form. It's not the only way, but that helps you not feel so isolated. Because isolation, I mean, it's like one of the big fears that a lot of people have. Oh, yeah. Like one of the things that um, I also wanted to, to mention in this, Mary, is that you, from what I could tell in your letter, you brought in a fear of abandonment into the relationship. Now, these are one of those things that you, you think about and you go, okay, what are my deep needs? What are my deep fears? What am I bringing into this relationship? Because whatever you bring in, it usually amplifies and it usually really shows itself as soon as like the honeymoon phase is over. Because during the first couple months of the relationship, you're showing up for each other every minute of the day. You want to see each other. Everything's fantastic. But if you have that underlying fear of abandonment, that's going to show itself. If you have an underlying fear of rejection, that's going to show itself. If you have low self-worth issues and one day he doesn't say, I love you back. One day he doesn't compliment you when he's complimented you every other day. That happens. It's going to happen in the relationship. You have to look at uh, what you want to receive and what will slow down because everything finds a settling point. So if you do have these fears inside of you and you bring them into the relationship, you have to know how much they will amplify as the relationship settles down. And when you have this knowledge inside of you, then you know what to work on. You go, oh, I have this fear of abandonment. Well, where does that come from? Mm -hmm. I've, I've talked about this in many episodes. You can look up the past episodes, fear of rejection, fear of abandonment. Um, Let's explore that. Let's drill into it. Let's find out what's underneath it. Let's keep going in there. Oh, and then you find out when I was six years old and my mom went to the store and she didn't come back for three hours. I felt abandoned. And then from that point on, I had a belief that when somebody leaves, it's because they don't love me. I mean, we, we make these things up when we're kids because we think that's real, that we're not lovable, that we don't this, we don't that. 
And sometimes things are real. Now we have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. So all these things lead to some sort of origin. So, you know, I see this fear of, you know, whatever fears you're bringing into a relationship, it, it can certainly be exacerbated and amplified in that relationship. Yeah. I mean, that's my, that's been my experience. Yeah. You know, the relationship is going to shine a light on those things because, you know, you're going to create different circumstances. And, and then if you're in a relationship and you get married or you end up having kids, that just exacerbates all those things as well. But, um, but Mary, you know, I don't remember if we were actually recording when I said this, Paul, when I first read your, your, your letter, I wished I could have been in the room with you to simply just put my hand on your shoulder because there's a lot that you're going through yeah. and it does not sound like fun. It sounds like it, it sucks. And, you know, I would love to be able to sit here and say, do X, Y, Z, think X, Y, Z, and then you'll feel X, Y, Z. But sometimes I feel like that's not my place. You know, maybe if I'm just trying, if I'm forcing myself to give any sort of advice, it may not even be helpful. So consider this, the the virtual hand on the shoulder. <laughs> I feel for you, Mary. I really do. Good. I really do. And, you know, sometimes I think when we get knocked down to the very, very bottom, you might need help to get you to stand back up to then be able to receive some of the the messages that Paul or myself or anybody else are giving to you. But that's where I think being, you know, understanding like I need help. I'm, I'm not able to pull myself up right now by myself. And Paul, you mentioned having that support structure, that community, you know, or maybe it's a, a professional, just a, an individual who can help just get you from that, you know, feeling like you're on your back to now you're on one knee. Mm. Now you've got your feet under you. And now you're standing up straight. Okay, wow, we got to standing up straight. Maybe we can take one small step forward. What I like about everything that Mary is going through, even though that's a weird thing to say, but I'm going to say it. What I really like about it is that when you get to the bottom, there's nowhere else to go. I mean, you're at the bottom. And I I look at it as like a metaphor, like when you dive into the deep end of the pool. And you're holding your breath and you're swimming down and you're swimming down and you're holding your breath and you don't think you're going to make it. And then suddenly you hit the bottom of the pool and now you have to breathe. What's great about being at the bottom is it's you can push off the bottom and go mm. and go to the top again because the bottom is the push off point. It, it is the breakdown before the breakthrough. And when you get to that place of breakdown where everything goes wrong, it brings you to a space of, I just don't care anymore. Sometimes it can do this. I just don't care anymore. I just don't care. There's actually a lot of freedom in not caring. Yeah. <laughs> there's a, there's a, a liberation that happens when you just don't care anymore. I just don't care. You know what? I, I use this sometimes. Bring it on, universe. Bring it on. Hmm. I just don't care. And then, you know, things are happening and you're just like, I just don't care. And you reach this new place of not caring and then rebuilding because the not caring, the breakdown, I mean, leads to the not caring, and then the not caring leads to something new, a new perception. People's lives have changed completely. They do things completely different. This is why you see, like, when um, many women will go through this. I don't know about men, but many women will get a divorce. They're finally divorced, and now they they've reached the bottom. The divorce was like a, the the buildup, the buildup to you know going down to the bottom of the pool, holding your breath, waiting for. 
trying to get, trying to breathe. And then finally the divorce is over and they rebuild their life. They, they get in shape, they change their hair, they, you know, get a new wardrobe, everything mm-hmm. changes about them. And then the husband or ex is looking at them going, what, why weren't you this way when we were married? It, but it's because they've reached that breakdown point where they just don't care anymore because of problems or whatever. And their life changes. And so they, they reach this new space inside themselves. So Mary, I like that. Um, I like that everything is going wrong. I hate to say that because it doesn't, I don't mean to say that carelessly, but you know, when I was in the Arizona desert and my car broke down and I reached the ultimate state of panic, not knowing what to do, I was a thousand miles away from home with no money. I was reaching my breakdown. I thought I was going to die. It felt that awful inside of me. And I got to the point where something shifted inside of me where I don't care universe. You know what? I don't care if the coyotes come and eat me. I just don't care. Yeah. And boy, that felt liberating. I felt more at peace in that moment than I had in, in so long. And I was able to get out of it. My, my head cleared up, my fog cleared up. So Matthew, we are running out of time and we may have to turn this into a two parter because there's a <laughs> bunch of other notes we have. In fact, why don't we do that? Why don't we end this show on a, on a single note on yep. a different, on a different note I'll bring up and then we'll make it a part two for the next show. And then we might be able to get into the other letter as well. If you're cool with that. Yeah. Sounds great. Okay, great, Mary. And we're going to turn this into a two parter. You know, next time Matthew and I talk, we'll finish the rest here because there's so many facets of this that other people are going through as well. And I just want to make sure that we get all this information out there. So if anybody else is experiencing any of this, because this each and every single talking point is an episode in itself. So this is a lot of stuff, but, um, Let's end this show on um, the letting go part, because one of the the very last things that you wrote was, let me just read it. I blame myself. He hurt me and I can't hate him. He's supposed to be dead to me, but I can't let go. If I were to break all of this down and go, what's the choking point here of the funnel, the funnel that could make everything better? If I could let go, would that, yeah. would that clear my head up? Would that allow me to think in a more positive way, more optimistic way about everything going on in my life if I could just let this go? And that typically can happen a lot. We become obsessed. We're always thinking. We always want them. We want them back. So you say, I don't know what I'm asking for. I'm lost, scared, and confused. So here's my notes on letting go, and and I'll ask Matthew the same thing. Letting go of someone involves healing what it is in you that requires them to be in your life in the first place. So when I think of letting someone go, I ask myself, what's missing when they aren't there? What's missing in my life when that person isn't there? And um, let's say you say uh, someone to hold me. That's a good one, right? Someone to hold me, uh, that feels good. What I'm going to do is, uh, you know, if I'm going through this myself, is ask, what does someone holding me give me? So if if the, the words came up, um, what am I missing when they're not there? Well, someone to hold me. Okay, what does someone holding me do for me? Uh, I might say a feeling of safety and love. I'm going to drill into that and go, okay, what does feeling safe give me? Well, um, I might ask that question and go, well, feeling safe gives me a sense of comfort and security. But I'm also going to take the word I come up with and inverse it. 
in the sense of, okay, I like feeling safe. So what I'm going to do is inverse it and go, okay, where in my life do I feel unsafe? Regardless of who's in my life. Because if that person's in my life, I suddenly feel safe, which means I must feel unsafe with them not in my life. So where in my life do I feel unsafe? This is what we don't typically explore. The inverse of what we're, what we get from the relationship. This helps you understand where the pain originates, where the hurt, where the wounds are inside of you. I feel loved when this person's in my life. I feel important. Let's inverse that. Where in your life without them do you feel unloved? Oh, because that's going to bring some stuff up. And this is the stuff that we need to work on. Because why do we want them back in our life? Is because we feel there's something missing there or we feel like we need to enhance something that's not enhanced enough or you know there's a lot there's a lot of reasons but when it comes to these needs or fears where in my life do i not feel important because if if you say well i don't feel important at my job what would happen if you showed up one day and you felt important at your job would that change things a little bit i'm not saying that you won't still miss this person but would that change things a little bit you start playing the scenario differently so what does being loved give you? It lets me know I'm important. Okay, where in your life do you not feel important? Where do you feel unimportant? You know, we ask these questions of ourselves to break it down, to find out where we're going with that. Any thoughts on that, Matthew? I think you did a great job. For me, what comes up with, with the idea of letting go is we believe that a lot of what you said, that when we let go of this thing, this person, this idea, we're going to go without. And it's just, you know, putting my my sense of peace or my sense of comfort in that that external in that person and so i think the exercise that you just outlined is is great it's brilliant to be able to to look at that thing that you're wanting flip it around in the inverse and then ask yourself that question back you know where am i'm where am i feeling unsafe yeah. and and going through that exercise and you know i think at times sometimes i know for me Doing exercises like that felt silly. <laughs> a few hours ago, before you and I jumped on a call, Paul, I was going through this process with my mentor where he's taking me through what are called the seven guidelines. And at the end of this whole process, we're creating a new mission statement mm -hmm. for myself, personal mission statement. And one of the things is to really examine my values, make a big list of values, define them, prioritize them, collapse a few into each other, yada, yada. And it was processes like that, that I, at, at many, at different points in my life, did not see the value in doing. It just felt like, eh, you just sort of go through this thing. And it's, who does that? Who literally sits down and writes out their values and writes out what they mean to you and all of this and that. And so when you were explaining your process of how you can really understand what's going on, what those fears are, when you're hesitant to let go of something, you know, it, Mary, if you were at all hesitant to go through the process, there is a lot of magic that happens through understanding, you know, when you go through those processes. So um, I don't have anything to add to your process, Paul, because it's, <laughs> it really is great. Uh, my, I really, I just want to emphasize what can happen if you allow yourself, if you, you know, just have the courage to, to give it a try. Right. And to do a little bit of that that deep diving. Because it can be scary. 
You know, you're examining things that are obviously highly emotionally charged and, you know, there's consequences to letting go, right? And you're examining things and, and you might be confronted. You're, you're going to be confronted with, with different ideas, different beliefs. You'll see that certain beliefs haven't been serving you. And then you're going to be presented with a choice. You know, do I continue with this belief or do I let that belief go? You know, and it kind of, it, it just goes, it continues in that way. So the work can be scary. However, I've always experienced magic and growth and healing at the other end of it. And um, I always like to use this analogy. I do a lot of cleaning at my house. And so when I look at my stovetop after a full day of cooking, the stovetop will have all this dried crud on it. The stovetop is super dirty. And then when I pull out my bottle of cleaner and spray it on the stovetop, it gets, it, visually, it looks even dirtier. It went from being dirty to now I tried to clean it and it gets very dirty. However, it's that cleaner that helps to break things up and then I can wipe it away and I can wipe it away much easier. So it's the process I think that you outlined, Paul, that, you know, your life might look messy. This relationship might look messy and going in and examining those things may make it look even messier. You might feel during that process that this is not worth it. Like I'm even more depressed now. I feel even like I have less options. But that's part of the process. That's a great metaphor. And it's like breaking apart what's going on in your life because you used to have a really firm grip knowing, quote, knowing what's Mm -hmm. wrong in your life. I know what's wrong in my life and I know what caused it. And this knowing limits your uh, thought processes to reach an outcome because you know it so well that you also, quote, know that there's no solution. Yeah. And when you yep. and you're stuck in that, it's like having that cleaner on the stove. It's just a mess, and there's just no way I'm going to clean this up. And then one day, you hear a show like this, or you figure out some something about yourself. Just like when we break it down into the inverse that I was talking about, uh, you learn some origin. You learn where this stuff is coming from inside of you, so you can work with that. I I love working with the origin of things when we can find it. Sometimes we can't, but sometimes the, the origin pops up and you're like, what? This is really about, you know, I've, I've had, this is a good example. I've had, um, abuse clients. They've experienced a lot of abuse, you know, and a lot of them have less anger toward the abuser and more anger toward the parent that didn't protect them. Hmm. And it is, it is wild because that person abused you. And I don't say this, but this is a thought process that people would have. That person abused you. You should be pissed off at him. And they think they should be. And that's where their thought is. That's what they know. That's their, quote, knowledge. But what they don't know is that, oh, my God, I've actually been holding on to the anger toward my mom because she should have stepped in and protected me. And people hearing this right now might be thinking, oh, my God, that, that's me right now. I mean, this might be new information to some people. But this is what happens is that we hold on to these thing, things thinking that we know what the problem is when it turns out to be something that we weren't even thinking about. We didn't allow our thought processes to go there. Yeah. So you write something down. Is there something you want to add there? No, just underlining and emphasizing. Just, yeah, the importance. You know, there's, for me, I, I, I used to use the word I know and I'm mm-hmm. knowing. I've shifted that over the years to understanding 
because I can, can I can constantly understand things in a new way. So I understand uh, the next level. I understand the next part of this. I understand yeah. where I am at. Yeah, because that knowing, if you're no, if you know this to be fact, if you know this to be law, it takes some effort, some force, some energy to break down that knowing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you, you might have to put some work in to, to get through that knowing because it, it could be so solid. But if you just look at it as I, this is what I understand today and oh, wow, okay, I, I can understand something different. You know, I think that's a little bit more up in the sky stuff, but I just, that's how I tend to think about it. And that helps me because I can be stubborn in my quote unquote knowing. <laughs> No, I love what you just said because it goes along the same philosophy that I carry, talk about in the sky stuff. I think of um, the big picture of the things I know or the things I learn. The big picture is I have this philosophy that I tell myself. As soon as I go, okay, I know this. I know this for a fact. As soon as I say that, I follow it up with, but I'm open to being wrong about it. Hmm. There you go. And as soon as I do that, it keeps my mind open, doesn't shut the gate on it. As soon as you shut the gate on something, then you've, you know, you're, 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 you're limiting your ability to find a solution if it's a problem. So I, I, I love, this is my own thing. I love following up any I know. Like, I believe this so much that I'm willing to bet my life on it. I'm willing to bet a paycheck on it. And I'm hoping to being wrong about it. <laughs> so yeah. it's like yeah. I, I have the some people look at that and go, what? Don't you have firm beliefs? Absolutely. I have a firm belief until it's proven wrong. And so I, I look at that and I go, I'm going to have these firm beliefs until I'm proven wrong. Well, I'm going to end this show, Matthew. I want to say one thing that you said and emphasize it. And it had to do with um, standards that you mentioned earlier and values that you just mentioned. And uh, with Mary, I would really love her to, I'd really love you to do this, Mary, is to write down your ideal relationship. These are the qualities and criteria of my ideal relationship. He must do this or she must do that or whoever you want to date. This person must be honest. This person must be respectful. This person, you know, this, this, and this. You're going to have all these must-haves. And you can put a list of this person must not. You can have a list of must not-haves. You know, this person mustn't, you know, smoke or drink or so on, so on, and so forth. And then you're going to have a list of, uh, what's the third one? Um, would be nice. It'd be nice if he was multimillionaire, <laughs> It'd be nice if it was this, if it was nice as that. It, these would be nice. But what Matthew said was golden earlier about sticking to your guns because the fear in us, uh, especially when you have a fear of abandonment, fear of being alone, those fears, if they dictate your decisions, if they move you in a direction, if your fears motivate you to go a certain direction, to make certain decisions, then you're not basing them on your values or your standards. You're basing them on fears. And when you base your decisions on fear, you usually end up with something that doesn't serve you. There's something that causes problems. But if you base your decisions on your standards, these are my standards. These are my values. These are my criteria. If you base your decisions on that, then you're always moving in the right direction. And this is what we talked about earlier. You're taking responsibility. You are taking responsibility for what happens in the relationship because you said I will not accept anything less than what I've written down here, than what I've come to uh, have as my standards, as my criteria. So thank you for mentioning that, Matthew, and thanks for joining me today. You can find Matthew at the Having It All podcast and also the uh, other podcast he does, the Home Birthing, Doing It at Home 
podcast as well. And um, we have more, well, so much more to talk about on this, Matthew. Thank you for your time today. Um, the next time we get together, I'm going to go over the rest of these uh, bullet points that I wrote down and we'll see where we can get to. I, I did kind of take up a little bit of time at the beginning of the call asking you about the wisdom stuff, but I think that was a, a, an important topic as well because I think Mary can understand this at the deeper level and um, anyone listening can, can really grasp on to some of the things that we talked about. So again, thank you so much, Matthew. Paul, thank you. I, I appreciate the opportunity to uh, to speak to Mary and speak to you and, and continue to learn from your wisdom and uh, to just share whatever I can with Mary and your other listeners. And uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I look forward to addressing um, the rest of this powerful letter and continuing the conversation with you. Thank you. I appreciate it, my friend. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you so much for tuning into The Overwhelmed Brain. I appreciate you. I'm so grateful that you listened the entire way through, got to this point, and I hope you get some value from it. Like I said, we're going to address that letter probably in about a week and a half from the airing of this show. So tune into that if you get a chance. And um, for you, Mary, if you're listening, hang in there. Uh, There's a lot going on in your life, and um, we're going to do what we can to help you through it. Like Matthew said, you know, this is our virtual arm coming out to put it on your shoulder saying, yes, I understand. I get it. Thank you for sharing that. I'm here to listen. I'm, I'm here to support you. That's how I feel. That's a great way to look at it. Thanks for joining me again. Thanks to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And uh, I'm going to end the show like I always do. I want you to keep your mind open and step into your power so that you can be firm in your decisions and actions and that'll help you create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. Amazing.